0: Thank you for choosing this Dream Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates.
1: Um, 1 Samuel 3 says, In those days the, Lord of the, word, the word of the Lord was rare. And I really thank God that the word of the Lord is not rare in this house. But the prophetic word flows freely. And because we've given that word responsibility, God has rewarded our faithfulness and he has accelerated as a house by revealing his plans and purposes through the preceding word. Amen. Amen. Now, God reminded me this morning of the tree in Tameside, the prophetic word for Tameside. And a part of that was that as we have kept sowing and sowing into the spirit, that God is saying that none of the work has been wasted. All of the work, all of the seed and all of the water has been stored. And above the tree that was prophesied was a huge canopy supported by four poles, one in each corner. And the centre of the canopy is weighted. It's hanging low with the work that you have done. And when Pastor Karen was here from Australia, she saw that same thing in the spirit and she likened it to a membrane that was hanging heavy, just waiting to burst. Amen. And again, it was prophesied. So we're going a lot into the prophetic word this morning. The waters are beginning to build like a tsunami wave that is beginning to build momentum. It's heading towards our city. There's going to be an almighty deluge released over our city. Now is the time for deluge, a deluge of the Holy Ghost. It's no longer a passive river. It's a river on a mission. It has a course and an assignment. I believe that God is getting ready for such a mighty outpouring of his Holy Spirit that will herald a new move of God in this nation. And I believe that we are part of that assignment along with other churches who respond to the preceding word. We are going to be the vessels that he will use to carry it, to hold it and to take it to this town, to our city and to this nation. Amen. That means we have to be vessels that are ready to be filled and ready to move. So the title of my message this morning is A Vessel Set Apart and Ready. That's just for us individually, but as a church as well. As I was seeking God for the word this morning, the first thing I experienced was a sense of urgency in my spirit and in what God was saying to me. That God is waiting and watching for the right time to release this heavenly tsunami. And the second thing was one word, resistance. Turn with me to Jeremiah 18, verses one to four. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made was of clay and it was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So Jeremiah went to a certain place and as he was obedient, God gave him the preceding word for that nation. As Jeremiah arrived at the house, the potter had taken a lump of clay from a larger piece and he'd set it onto the wheel. And Jeremiah watched as the potter put his hands on the clay and applied pressure and big here and there, and he began to form a vessel. God is obviously the potter and he is molding and shaping the clay of our lives into whatever pot or vessel the potter wants it to be. Now, Jeremiah sees that the clay on the wheel is misshapen. And still unformed. But the word says that the clay was marred. That means that there was something in the clay that resisted the potter. Resistance means to challenge, to fight, conflict, refusal to go along with. The clay refused to be moulded into the shape the potter had planned. But he didn't throw it away. What he did was he crushed it back into a lump. And he, he molded it and he pressed it like you would do with dough, girls, when we're making something. And he added water to it and he pummeled it and thumped it until it became pliable again and elastic. And he began to make it into a different vessel. It, wasn't, it was a place where it was finished and that was in the mind of the potter. The potter could already see the finished product. And he was trying to make the vessel into the ideal that he had in his mind. Amen. Now imagine that you are that vessel and God has a plan for your life. He he knows how he wants you to look at the end, but you resist. You refuse to be formed into the vessel that God originally intended you to be. So he changes his original plan. Amen. That's in the word. The word says he made it into a different vessel altogether as it seemed good to the potter to make. Now, I want to clarify something here. The clay was not flawed because we all have flaws and that means that God would not be able to use any of us. The clay was resistant. It would not yield to the potter. I used to think when the word said that God has planned for my life, that that was it. God said it, so it's going to happen. And I had a totally wrong perception of the way God works. Now, I remember somebody giving me a powerful prophecy many, many years ago. And I was in a place where I couldn't see that far forward to what God was saying. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. Is that what God's really going to do with my life? And I spent many, many, many years waiting for God to do something amazing with my life and for that word to come to fruition. But I'm going to be really honest and say that the reason it didn't happen was because I went to church every week, but I lived like I was unsaved between Monday and Saturday, truthfully. I didn't give any thought to God from one week's end to the next. I came to church, I heard the pastor preach, but I didn't really do anything with that word. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. We have to work with what God gives us according to his will for our lives, yes? Now in the word, in the Bible, the Greek for God's will or plan breaks down into two words. And I'm going to explain those words to you. The first one is bulema and the second one is thelema is God's predetermined plan for the universe and it is unaffected by the decisions of man. It stands utterly fixed and it cannot be changed by the action of others. For example, it was God's plan that Jesus would come to the earth and that he would be the ultimate sacrifice that would reconcile man to God. Nothing could stop it. Mankind had no say in it. That was his Bulema will. But the Bulaimah will is God's plan for each individual person. But it's reliant on the person to cooperate with what God is wanting to do. It's God, God's wish or desire for our lives. But if we don't enter in and co- cooperate with him, then he will never force that plan upon us. We have the power to choose whether or not we will walk in the will of God. Like we said before, there are some things that are going to happen. It's a fixed thing and there's nothing we can do. But those of us who, who are parents know that we can have plans for our children and they can choose whether or not to enter into those plans or reject them. And so it is with God. He will never force us to follow his plan. An example of this is 1 Timothy 2, 2-4. to It says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. That is his desire. But he allows men to choose salvation or reject it. It, He won't force man to comply. It's man's decision. And it's exactly the same with our lives. As God attempts to mold us and shape us, he gives us free will as to whether to work with him or not. If we listen to what's being preached but don't allow it to change us, we're resisting his hand on our life. If we we know that God is speaking to us but we keep putting it off and we don't do anything with it, then we're resisting his will. If we hear his voice and refuse point blank to change, then we're being actively resistant and he has no alternatives but to change his plans. Being actively resistant means that we are purposely fighting, challenging, or refusing to go along with God's plans. In reality, God uses people and circumstances to change us and mould us, doesn't he? He puts the pressure on and he takes the pressure off. He brings people alongside you to help you that will accelerate your journey. He brings that person alongside you that rubs you up the wrong way. And then he looks at your attitude to that. He allows circumstances to come our way and he turns the heat up. He watches how we respond and he sees the attitude of our heart. And if we still remain resistant, he changes the original plan. It's our, totally our decision. To those, I need to emphasize something here. For those that are just new on this journey, God's grace is fathomless. He allows a long, long time for that moulding process to take part. But to those of us who are mature, Philippians 3, 16 says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, Paul is saying, grow up. You know what I am requiring of you. You know you're supposed to be mature, but still you resist. I believe that the grace is less for those who are further down the road. But the truth here is that having rejected God's plans for days or months or even years, he cannot make of us what he would have made of us if we'd have entered into his plans at the very beginning. If we reject God's best, then he tries to make you realise the next best. And if you reject that, then he tries to make you realise the next best. But the point is this, by the very nature of him allowing us to have free will, he cannot make as much out of a fraction of a life than he could have done out of a whole life. If we don't allow ourselves to be shaped and moulded, we will not be used for our initial purpose. That really scares me, because I don't want to be next best, and I don't want to be next best. I want to be the original I want to be what God, who God purposed me to be. Amen. I want to be the original plan and not the next best because I wouldn't allow him to change me. Now, there's another way that we can resist God and that's by doing nothing. It's not actively resisting him. It's just by doing nothing with him. As a mom and as the chief cook in my house, that's going to happen this afternoon all my family are going to come round you're not all coming when I tell you what's on the menu so it's roast beef Yorkshire pud roast potatoes and I'm going to spend a lot of time preparing that for my family and setting it out now if they come to my house and walk in the kitchen and have a look at the food that I've prepared for them but they just walk out of the room and go yeah that's really nice but they don't want it and walk away, I'm going to be really offended. And yet we do this with the word that God brings to feed us and sustain us. God has sent us a treasure trove from Australia with two warring angels to guard it. That means that there's something valuable inside it. Yeah? These resources that he's given to Pastor Tony for us, such as MPOG and Man Up and Unleashed, have come out of the treasure trove. They are food to feed us and sustain us and to shape us and allow God to further advance his church. I would even say that if we ignore these gifts that God has given to us, then we're resisting God himself because these resources truly are life-changing. God is using these resources to prepare us, his vessels. And at the same time, excuse me, he is uniting us as a family and as a body. Now, we can also resist God through fear. We don't want to, maybe sometimes we're afraid of letting go of control. Yes. I mean, I, was a, I used to be, and this is the way God's changed me, an absolute control freak. I wanted to be in control of everything in my life. I wouldn't even let go and let God. But we may resist because sometimes we see things that we don't understand. So we pull away from it. Now, when Pastor Karen and Peter were here from Australia, I saw some things that I didn't understand. I didn't understand them, but I didn't shut myself off from them. I refused to close myself off. God isn't asking us to switch our brains off and just accept anything that comes our way. But he is asking us to be open-minded and not to be resistant to what he's doing until we've got some wisdom and understanding in the matter. As God moves through this church, we may see things that we've never seen before and we don't really understand. And I'm asking you this morning not to be resistant to what God is going to do because God is going to do mighty things in this church. Now, the longer the vessel has to be worked on, the the less pliable. The more you work the clay and work the clay, the more rigid it becomes and the less pliable it becomes. So in the end, Um, it has to be put on one side. Does God throw it away? No. He just puts it on one side because it's no longer of any use to him. It's become so resistant that he can't make it into what he wanted to make it into. And many by their own choice have walked out of their destiny. If we keep resisting God, He will attempt to reshape us and then he will attempt to reshape us. He will keep pouring the water of the Holy Spirit. Have you seen a potter when the clay goes dry? He pours water on it and he starts to mold it again. But some of us have been absolutely drenched in the Holy Spirit and responded to that. And others have put their umbrellas up in the same downpour. When we do that, Paul um, alluded to that two weeks ago we become desensitized to his voice and to his leading and to his shaping. And so much so that we're in a spirit-soaked environment and yet we can't even sense him. So spiritually, we may be here physically, but spiritually we've walked away from it. Amen. Our level of resistance or submission to being molded will decide not only how God will use us, but if he will use us. As he moves across our nation, we must become vessels that he can use. Vessels that are set apart, fit and ready for any good work. Now in 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21. The word says... But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also utensils of wood and earthenware, some for noble and honourable use, and some for menial and ignoble use. So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, and who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful for honourable and noble purposes consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. Now, Paul is talking here to Timothy, who's still a young man, and he's trying to persuade him to keep away from influences that corrupt young men. But immaterial of how old we are, that principle still applies to us today. If I can give you the analogy that God is the master. All the vessels are in the house and they have to be ready at any time for him to just take it off the shelf and use it. Now, if, have you ever been into a cafe or a restaurant where maybe the side plate or the cutlery has been dirty? It's got, it's got leftovers from the previous customer's food on it. So you send it back because it's dirty. It has to be cleaned because it's not fit or ready to be used. And the master cannot use a vessel that is tainted or knowingly full of something that shouldn't be there. The cleaned vessel is empty, fit and ready for the master to take off the shelf and use it now for his purposes. In other words, it's good to go. Yeah? When I invite people to my house... I don't make the meal and then start washing the pots. Everything has been washed and cleaned and dried and put into the cupboard so that at any time during that meal, I can take whatever I need and use it. Amen. Galatians 5, 16 to 24 tells us exactly how to achieve this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, division, envy and drunkenness and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, so he's already reiterated this, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If we seek the Holy Spirit, he will show us how he wants us to respond. If we really seek him, he may show you that something needs to be removed. He may show you that you need to stop doing or saying certain things. But it may be something, and I'm going to talk to you in a minute from a personal stance. It may be something that keeps resurfacing and you keep pushing it down and burying it again. And it resurfaces and you push it down and bury again because you don't want to deal with it. But the Holy Spirit will keep bringing it to mind until it's finally dealt with. Trust me, the love and God and grace of the mercy of God is deeper and higher and wider than we could ever know. And I wanted to give you something of a testimony here, part of a testimony, um, because it really is so personal. that At this moment in time, I can't share it all with you, but hopefully in the future, I may be able to. When pastors Karen and Peter were here, the Holy Spirit highlighted something to me on the first night that Karen was here, something that needed to be removed. And I resisted it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. This went on for a week. So I went and spoke to them about it. And funnily enough, they agreed with the Holy Spirit. So I went to see Pastor Tony and he agreed with them. So the only people who were at loggerheads were me and the Holy Spirit. Now on the last night that Peter was here, he emphasized to me, don't leave it another day sort it out. And I wasn't going to see him again. So I thought, there was almost a thing in my mind, well, I'm not going to see him again, so I don't have to deal with it now. Nobody's going to know, but the Holy Spirit knows when we don't deal with things. So I decided that I still couldn't do it. I resisted. I fought it. I challenged it. But in the end, I knew that I had to do what the Holy Spirit was asking me to do. I could sense that this was the right time, that he had chosen the right time to remove this from my life. Now, I um, told Pastor Tony that I'd sorted it out. And unbeknown to me, Pastor Peter had said to him, if she doesn't do this within 24 hours, she's finished. And that's why I'm telling you this, because I was so shocked, because I thought that I didn't resist the Holy Spirit anymore. But there are times when God expects us to respond now. I was being disobedient to the Holy Spirit, and sometimes the Lord puts a spiritual time limit on your response. And... If we don't respond, we're out of the race because of our disobedience or resistance to his leading. And that's exactly what would have happened to me. Thank God that I did respond to him. If we are to be vessels, want to be vessels that are set apart, then we have to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and respond to it, separating ourselves from anything that contaminates or corrupts, choosing to live by the Spirit and to crucify the flesh. Amen. I believe with all my heart that God is saying to us, get ready. Get ready. Stop leaving it. Sort it out now. For I am about to move in those who will consecrate themselves. Those who will set themselves apart. Those who are willing to do what it takes to become a vessel who is fit and ready to be used by the master to do any good work. And I feel that urgency in my spirit. Now, I can't turn to the scripture uh, because I don't have enough time. But in 1 Chronicles 13, 1 to 14, if you write that down, you can study that later. 1 Chronicles 13, 1 to 14. David wants to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So he gathers all his commanders and the whole nation of Israel and he says... Let's go up to Kiriath-Jerim and bring the ark of the Lord from there. And I'm cutting this very short. So they built an ark, a new cart, and moved the ark from Abinadab's house. But on the way, Uzzah reaches out to steady the ark and God strikes him dead. And David is very angry that this has happened. But he's also very scared, like the night I was that I didn't respond to the Holy Spirit. So... Instead of taking the ark into the city of David with him, he leaves it in the, ark, in the house of obed edom for three months. And he goes into the city of David and he thinks about this. So he's got three months to think on this. And he thinks, how can I bring the ark to me? How can I carry it to me? And then he realizes that the reason God was angry was that they had put the ark on a cart instead of moving it in the way that God had ordained, that he had commanded them to. As we go down to 1 Chronicles 15, David gathers the whole of Israel again, along with the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. He commands them to concentrate themselves, consecrate themselves, because they were the God-appointed carriers of the Ark of the Covenant. They were set apart to carry his glory and his presence. But to the New Testament believers, God says, But you are a chosen people, in 1 Peter 2. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, as New Testament believers... His word says that now we are the chosen people. We are the royal priesthood. God God doesn't need us to carry the ark on our shoulders to show that God is with us because God lives in us. Amen. So now we are the carriers of his glory. We are the carriers of his presence. We are the carriers of his word and of his anointing. So God doesn't need an ark anymore because we are the ark. We are the chosen vessel. God says to Ananias about Paul, Ananias says, whoa, I'm not going to see Paul. He's killing all the Christians. I'm not going to say anything to him. And God says to him, go, this man is my chosen vessel to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Paul is an example of how God has moved his presence from the ark into an individual vessel. Amen. We, along with other churches, are going to be the vessels that carry him, that carries his presence, that carries his word and his anointing into our workplaces, into the community. Yes, into our homes, into our businesses. We are going the vessels that will carry him. You know... When you find it hard to verbalize something, you, the way you feel about, so passionate about something, and so you read it somewhere or so you hear somebody say it and your heart grabs it and you think, yes, that's just, what, just how I feel, but I couldn't say it in the same words. Well, about a year ago, I read a book and the writer was a pastor who verbalized everything that I had in my heart. And he said, being possessed of a promise, I have no options All my eggs are in one basket, there is no plan B. That's exactly what Paul meant when he said, I haven't been made perfect yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. There was nothing holding him back. I'm not going to be next best. I'm going to be the original. I'm going all out. I'm pushing everything that hinders me out of my way. And I'm going to become a vessel that is set apart and ready to be used. Amen. Now I'm going to finish with part of a word from Pastor Jonathan David, he prophesied to the church in England last year in 2011. And he says, The church in England, it is time to arise. Do not hold back. It is time for you to increase your passion. It's time for you to increase your prayer. It's time for you to increase your sacrifice in this hour. Stand before me without restrictions. Stand before me without restraint. Then I will begin to show you the assignment that I have for you, for it is far bigger than the assignment that you have for yourself. One more time, begin to rise and become stronger because a fresh move is coming. A fresh move is coming upon the churches in England. Break that fear mentality. Break that cave mentality and come out onto the front lines of the battlefield. There is a whole new generation that will initiate a whole fresh move of God in England. God is saying that there will be a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit that will come upon England. Pastors, get ready. Leaders, get ready. In this hour, there is a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit that is going to come up and raise up a whole new company of people as God is taking them out of the place called restriction into a place of broadness, into a place of victory, into a place of great beginnings. God will give you tremendous influence for God is going to cleanse your lips. So circumcise your hearts in this hour so that you will become a carrier of this message. Then England will be ready for that which is about to happen. Amen. God is asking you today, church, are you ready? He's asking, are you ready for what I am about to do? Is your life a vessel? That I can use to carry my message. Can I shape you and mould you according to my plans and purposes? Are you willing to allow me to move in you and through you? Are you ready to carry my presence, my anointing, my glory and my word and take it into your city? Are you a vessel that is set apart and ready for me to use? That is what God is asking, not just us, but the church in England, because He is getting ready to pour out his Holy Spirit for a new move of God upon this nation. Every single time I come into the house of God, when we meet corporately, I am excited at the prospect of what could happen in that meeting. Amen. I'm so excited about what God is going to do. I'm excited about what's still in that treasure trove. I'm excited about what the guys have brought back to Malaysia. I cannot wait for, for and I don't mean this in a bad way, for them to work out, because it, they take a lot of information on, to work it out and then download it to us. Amen? Will you stand with me, please, church?
0: Just be seated for... Just be seated for a minute, please. You know, we started our worship time this morning saying that God was measuring a new portion to us. Did we not? And what Pat's saying is about maturity and growing in God, not resisting God. Every one of us must not resist the Holy Spirit, and yet everyone is tempted. And just, if you've got your Bibles, just turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 a minute. I'm not going to preach, I just want to say something. We've already had to, to preach this morning. The message to our hearts. I just want to strengthen something that Pat said. About resisting the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to resist the Holy Spirit. Amen? So easy to do it. Even now, you, re- you receive the word. Even now, from here to the front door, you can dismiss what she's just said, what the Holy Spirit's doing. Even this morning, before, you know, uh, we came in this morning, we we can be dismissive because we get familiar. So we dismiss. And all the time, our hearts are open. The Holy Spirit wants to keep measuring a new portion to us. And this young boy, Jeremiah, in chapter one, it says, but but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. The first level of resistance is looking who you are. It's seeing who you are. He said I was only a child. Well, straight away, you might say, well, I'm only a housewife or I'm only, uh, I'm only this, I'm only a plumber, I'm only an electrician. I'm only... Whatever it is, how you see yourself is so important. It's so, so important. It's not how you see yourself, my friend. It's how God sees you. When God speaks to us, he already knows the facts. He already knows who you are, your limitations, what you're good at, what you're bad at. He knows you inside out. But nevertheless, he still speaks. And just as Pat has been speaking to us there about the move of God coming and, and not resisting, some of you may think to yourself, well, I've heard this before. Yes, thank God you keep hearing it again. And he says, don't say I'm only a child. But here's the issue, here's the, here's the assignment. But you must go to everyone who I say. And command you. Wow. Wow. We must go to everyone and say whatever I command you. Whatever God's put in our hearts, we must say. Yeah. Wow. And then he says, don't be afraid of them. Well, why is he saying don't be afraid? Because he knows the very thing you're going to be. He's afraid. And when, we, when Pat is sharing and, or whoever it is is preaching about God want, is, is bringing this move, many of us get afraid. So we say, oh, it won't be me. Let him do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let them do it. And we detach ourselves won't we've heard because we're frightened. But God is saying, no, 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 you're the crowd. You're it. It doesn't get any better. You're it. Yeah? You think, well, Lord, well, bring all the professionals. Bring all the prophets. Bring.... He said, No, no, you're it. God, listen, here's a fact. See, ready? God isn't looking for everyone. God is looking for someone. He's not looking for everyone. Oh, well, God's heart is for everyone to be Yes, that is his heart. But he's not looking for everyone. He's looking for someone. And you're that someone. Amen. So, because he knows that everyone will be saved. But it's his heart for everyone to be saved. Yes. My heart as a parent is all my, for all my kids to obey my voice. But they don't. But it's still my heart. True. And only maybe one might do it. Or might do it, you know one or two might do it at a certain time. But my heart is for them all. And that's the same as God's heart to you. It's then he says this, don't be afraid of them. I am with you and I'll rescue you. So as a vessel, God's shaping you in the clay. Don't be frightened because God's got you in his hand. Yeah. And then he says this, now I've put my word. Oh, said. So then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, the Lord has touched us this morning. He's put his word in our mouth. Yes? I put my, see, today I appoint you over nations. No pressure, Jeremiah, but today your remit is I'm putting you in charge over nations. You think, wow, if God is the God of the nations, wouldn't it make sense that he puts you in charge of the nations? Come on. If God is, is God is in charge of your family, isn't it right that God puts you in charge of your family? If God is in charge of your factory, isn't it right that God puts you in charge of your factory? Whatever God's in charge of, he puts you in charge of. Come on. So he says, okay, I'm going to see t- t- today, I'm going to put you in charge of nations, and you're going to do a few things. You're going to uproot, you're going to tear down, you're going to destroy, you're going to overthrow, you're going to build and you're going to plant. No pressure. No pressure. But, but God needs a vessel so he can do that. You're his vessel. That's what we've heard this morning. You're his vessel. You see, when God takes a child... God always takes the child. You are his child. Though you're an adult, you're still his child. The trouble is, Pat challenged us we don't, we're not immature, we're not infants. There's a difference. You can be his child without being immature or an infant. It's time to grow up. It's time to let this word take root, and let, it's time for God to, to take hold of your mad vessel, not mad as in mad. Marred. It marred. It's a very posh word. Marred. In other words, you're cracked. You're flawed. Yeah? Look at the person at the side of you and say he's talking to you. You're marred and you're marred. Some of you are mad, but some of you are marred as well. And you're flawed. But God's still got you in his hand. He still believes in you. That's the amazing thing. You know, I had to give up a long time on you. But God still believes on you. Wow. It's amazing. God still believes in you and he still believes in me. And you say, well, well pastor, we almost gave up on you. But... but God wants to continue shaping you. And then he says this, he will encourage you. He'll encourage you. When he speaks to you, he encourages you. Yes. Don't be afraid of some stuff. Yeah. And then he will feed you by putting his truth inside you. He fed Jeremiah with his word. Amen. And you know, he put it in, and what did he put into his mouth? The now word. The now word. Not just knowledge, he put the now word. What I'm doing, Jeremiah, I'm putting it inside you. It wasn't just knowing about God, it was knowing what God was doing then. It's not enough to know about God, it's enough to know what God's doing. You need to know what God's doing. From that perspective, you can go forward when you know what God's doing. Because when you don't know what God's doing, you're always trying to get him to go where you're going. True? You're always trying to say, God, I'm over there. God says, I'm not over there. I'm over there. You need to look at what God's doing. Not just look. And here's here's the issue. Don't look. Here's a new measuring line for you. When you're measuring what God's doing, never measure by what he's doing in your life. Because if you're disobedient, and not everybody's disobedient, you never measure from what God's doing in your life. You measure from the top down. The top is what God's doing in the nations. Because what God's doing in the nations will reflect down to you. Because that's his heart. Then you don't say what God's doing in the church. Because what God's doing in your church might be doing what something... You know if, if you 're resistant to the Holy Spirit in this church but but they 're not resistant over there that 's not a true litmus test. What is God doing in the nation well god 's bringing re- re- reformation so god 's bringing reformation in his church so god 's bringing reformation in your life. It comes from the top downwards, not from the t- bottom upwards okay that 's a very important lesson for you to learn god don 't never look at what god 's doing from your life. look what he 's doing from the nations. He said to Abraham. When he stood at the front door of his tent, look outside and see what I'm doing. But Abraham said, well, yeah, but what about what's going on in my tent? He said, yeah, what about what's your tent? It's about what I'm doing in the nation. So you are a reflection of what God is doing on a bigger scale. Always. And lastly, he says, he will overthrow. What's he going to overthrow? Well, he's going to overthrow anything false in you. Anything inaccurate, anything that's marred, that what Pat's talked about. Anything and everything, God must overthrow it in your life. He must. If you are and I am to grow in maturity, then everything must be overthrown. God is a king. Yes, you're his subject. God rules. God reigns. God overthrows. He tears down. He builds. He plants. He arises. All that is in you. If he's a king, and it's, but the issue is not whether he's a king. The issue is, is he your king? You know, Prince Charles will one day hopes he's going to be a king. But he'll never be my king. He'll never be my king. He might get the throne and legally he's entitled to it. Hopefully his mother outlives him. Right? But he will be king by right, by heir to the throne. Right? But he'll never be my king. Why? Because I only serve one king. Now, I don't disrespect him. If Charles is on the throne, I don't disrespect him. Why? Because I pray for the king like I would pray for the queen. But he'll never be my king. Because in my heart, I only worship one. It's King Jesus. But I'll honour Charlie if he's there. Let's just hope he don't become a right Charlie. (laughs) But I'll honour one king, but I'll respect the earthly one. Because one king has the ability to overthrow everything. Charles, I don't even know if he knows his backside in the dark. Seriously. This boy's not ready for ruling. His mother's good. he give it to his son, but bypass the middle one by all. Any man who says, I'm the defender of the faith, I don't want. I'm a defender of the faith. One faith. One Lord. One Christ. One King. That's it. Amen? One faith. One Christ. One gospel. One gospel. Yes, that's who we serve. Amen? So the word comes to us this morning. What's the word? God does not give up. He wants to shape us. But you only have a soul, you have a limited time to get your life right. Pat shared the testimony. Didn't I know the testimony? Because we talked about it. And I know the severity. She had a time period to get it right. Some of you need to realize and start walking with the fear of God upon your life. I had the fear of God upon my life only this week. Sorry, last week when I was in Malaysia. Something was said and it's like, oh my God. Get it right, Tony. Sort yourself out, lad. These are the days when we walk with God. God is real. God is real. And I'm not waiting to die before he speaks to me. I need to speak to him now. So when I get up there, it's like, you mean you are cool, yeah? I need to be cool on the earth rather than red hot. <laughs> By burning. Seriously, church, you need to start walking with the fear of God. And one of the things I'll praise is that the fear of God touches your life. Because yeah. when your fear of God touches your life, you don't do the things you, sh- you were once doing. You'll think differently and you'll behave differently. The fear of God doesn't mean to say you're frightened of God. Yeah. But you re- you, that, that everything within you wants to come into alignment. Yeah. yeah? God isn't a God with a big stick. But he is a God. Yeah. Who's the boss? And as you get to know God... You get to know that his ways, there's only one way. His way or the highway. God's not going to keep messing with us, guys. You've got a certain amount of time to get things right. And one of the first things you'll see in the church, of a church that's turning around, is people's lives start reflecting the one they talk about. Righteousness comes into a church. The ability to make right choices, Right decisions. What decisions? His choices, his decisions. Righteousness. The kingdom is about peace, joy, and righteousness. And that's when God's measuring a new plot of land for us this morning. He's saying those three things must govern our boundaries. Peace, righteousness, and joy all in your life. But you don't get, you're not going to keep getting, God is cutting righteousness short. He's cutting the time short. We haven't got years to keep messing around. Some of you haven't got that long left. Put it right now. Let God do it. Let the potter do what he wants with the clay. Amen. Because I don't want God to do this. I said to Phil last night, the most frightening thing for me is this, is, is that God leaves me in the ministry, but takes ministry away from me. He leaves me in the ministry so I can keep on doing the same things, but I'll never, ever touch ministry before him. Now, some of you think, I haven't got a clue what you just said there. It's like, it it keeps me in the job. I can keep doing the job, but I'll never minister to his heart. Our worship never gets beyond the ceiling. Anything I do for God never reaches the ceiling. That, you might as well kill me and send me home now. Everything must touch his heart. We live for him. Amen? If you want a church that just wants to talk about him, then this is not the place. But if you want a relationship and an encounter with God that he demands our life, our soul, our very all, then this, my friend, you've welcomed, you've come to the right place. Let's stand to our feet if we can, please. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.